Hey, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Ecosystem Podcast, where we aim to help you, the big-hearted changemaker with a bold vision to build a business that gives you butterflies and a life that makes you want to high-five yourself. How? By addressing the interconnected nature of all that you do. From marketing to mindset and everything in between, we believe your business is more ecosystem than monoculture and that when it comes to creating sustainable success, it's all connected and there is no one-size-fits-all formula. Join us for conversations that embrace nuance, elevate the importance of empathy, and address the diverse and unique strengths that enable entrepreneurs to not just make money, but to make real lasting positive change in a regenerative and revolutionary way. Hey, hey, and welcome back to the Entrepreneur's Ecosystem. We have Matt Brown, conversion copywriter, email deliverability tech guru to the stars on today. And we have a really super exciting mishmash of topics that are going to help you actually use emails and funnels to sell by making sure that the people you are sending them to are seeing them and so much more. So Matt, thank you so, 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 so much for coming back on the pod. I believe you are our first repeat guest. Is that true, Shanti? It might just be. Yay. Wow, the honor. (laughs) He is very deserving of it. So it is a true honor. Thank you so much for having me back on. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Of course. And even though we want to talk about tech stuff mostly, I want to know what kind of tea you are drinking right now before we get too deeply into yeah, it. Yeah, we need like the tea, popcorn, nootropic stack. And then I would love to preface our conversation by just elaborating on who this episode is for, because I have a pretty clear idea in my mind of who's going to benefit the most from this episode. But before we jump into that, something applicable to everyone is Matt's tea expertise Mm. and popcorn and nootropics. Hit us. All right. So because we're doing a podcast today, I I broke one of my rules and I had a cup of coffee this morning because I needed that extra, I need that extra juice, you know, to, to get going and kind of having this social talkative energy. So I'm hopped up on coffee right now. I feel great, but it's summer now. So I've really been enjoying drinking some oolongs. So really all about the Taiwanese high mountain oolongs, Alishan, Dali Ling. I have a friend who sources tea. So I just get the stuff from him and loving it. And then there's this other herb that's amazing all year round, but especially in summer, we make like a cold brew of it. It's called gynostema or uh, jagulon. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. Mm-hmm. Like Ron, Ron Tea Garden, it's like the main ingredient in his uh, spring dragon longevity tea. And it's mm-hmm. like this herb that um, <laughs> we're talking about herbs before we talk about marketing. It's amazing. Uh, <laughs> so it's like this herb that was studied because it has kind of like a similar profile as like stevia. So people were looking for alternative sweeteners 
And once they started studying it more, they're like, wow, this has a ton of amazing like alkaloids and compounds, and it's very similar to ginseng. So I think they're called japenicides, which are like the active constituents or whatever of ginseng, but it's super affordable. So you can get like a whole huge bag of it for like 10 bucks organic, you know, grown and we make like a cold brew. So we just have like a big picture of it in the fridge. So pouring that it's like really like nice tonifying for summer. It's like both calming and like somewhat energizing. So been drinking a lot of that and been on the mate train, you know, I kind of like switch it up each day. So mm. can you rename that magical herb again? Cause we obviously need to order a whole bunch for totally. Uh, <laughs> I'm not an influencer. I'm not a health influencer. But the uh it's called gynostemma. It's like G-Y-N-O-S-T-E-M-M-A. It's also known as Jaogulan. So J-I-A-O-G-U-L-A-N. And the people I get it from is a company called Immortality, like spelled like immortality. Mm-hmm. So immortality.com, I think, is where you get it. And yeah, I love it. It's awesome. It tastes really good and feels good. So yeah, loving that. Nice. Man, I made Aqua de Jamaica the What's other that? day, which is, it's hibiscus tea, Ooh. but you, you also start by boiling, simmering ginger, cinnamon, allspice, and then you pour that over a crap ton of hibiscus leaves and nice. you can do like sugar, honey, or stevia to sweeten it. And that as an iced tea is quite magical. Sounds and my good. children it don't really like, like it. So I'm so like, get it all for yourself. This is good. Yeah. We're onto something. It almost sounds like a chai or something like that. Yeah. You think it would be like Christmassy tasting, but it's actually quite refreshing. Oh, and then you put lime, like fresh lime. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, we need those those summer icy. It's like the perfect summer drink, yeah. Just energizing, but not too energizing drinks. Yeah, we got to try that. Ganostema, let's do it. Yeah, I'll send you the link afterwards too. I think that that's the website. I bought like two bags of it like a year ago, and I still have it, so. Man. It amazing. lasts forever. And popcorn, you, you crunch okay. it. <laughs> So the popcorn, the only thing that's changed about the recipe I shared in the last episode is we found this like, it's like this spice mix from Bragg's. It's like Bragg's, like it's like 24 spice mix. I think it has like oregano and lemon balm and all this stuff in there. And that has just been like the, the coup de gras on top of the popcorn. So it's like, I didn't think it could get any better. And we got that. And my mom, like for Christmas, sent us like this spice pack. Like she always sends like Lisa and I um, tons of just like food stuff, which is amazing. And we got like these like, it's like this paprika pack. So we have like paprika from around the world. And we've been adding that onto the uh, popcorn. So it kind of gives it like a, a healthy flaming Hot Cheeto type of thing going on. There. Yes. I love smoked paprika on popcorn. I know. It kind of has like that barbecue chip thing too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Your mom sounds dope. 
She's awesome. The gifts yeah. are the best gifts. A hundred percent. Yay. Yeah, Our... Carmen. Give giving a shout out to Carmen. <laughs> yes. First, first podcast reference of Carmen. And Carmen, Carmen Brown ever. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right. Should we nerd out? Okay, I'm gonna preface who I think this is for. So I think this episode is for anyone who is like actively emailing their audience mm -hmm. and using email marketing as a core strategy for driving connection and driving conversions and making money. If that's you, keep listening. Mm. That's my preface. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I'll start because I, or rather Matt and I are just wrapping up a project where we migrated and by we, it's not me, Matt migrated um, almost 90,000 people over from Kajabi to active campaign. And um, prior to doing this, I just like noticed that my client was on Kajabi and had 90,000 people. And I was like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. No offense to Kajabi or anything, but it's not very robust for email marketing. And I was like, yo, Matt, do I need to do anything about this? And he was like, oh my God, don't do it yet. <laughs> because when you're migrating your list over from one platform to another, you can seriously screw things up. And my understanding is usually, Matt, you get called in at the end afterwards and have to fix things, right? So can you give our listeners a little bit of an idea of like how, if I had just been like, let's just copy and paste CSV from Kajabi into ActiveCampaign, what could have happened to my client? Yeah, 100%. I think we were just like DMing on Instagram and you were like, hey, Matt, quick question. Like something about migrating from, was there anything I need to know about migrating 100,000 contacts from Kajabi into ActiveCampaign? And like, that's like one of those, like my heart stops beating for a second moments because like you said, yeah, normally I'm the person that gets called in to like clean up that mess after the damage is done. So I'm like, okay, you have a great opportunity to not create a whole new set of problems for yourself. And so the sort of thing that can happen if you like, and I'm not, I, I do migrations, I enjoy doing migrations, but it's like, you know, it's just something I learned out of necessity. And what I've learned is that I had a client once who came to me and she said, Matt, we migrated, I forget which platform it wasn't Kajabi, it may have been ConvertKit. And this doesn't, it's had nothing to do with Kajabi or Active Campaign. It's just from one sender to another sender. She brought over like 50,000 people. She uploaded the CSV into Active Campaign. She's like, great, let's send our next newsletter to all these 50,000 people. And because she was migrating from one sender, an established reputation with the IPs from ConvertKit or MailChimp or Kajabi or whatever they are, to active campaign establishing a new sender reputation you know with her domain and her the shared ips from active campaign google and outlook and aol and yahoo and all the other inboxes they view this as you are a new sender and you have to go through what's called a warm-up process when you do this where you slowly build up especially for larger volume lists you have a thousand ten thousand twenty thousand 
people, this isn't as big of a deal and it can be a faster situation. But once you pass that 50,000 contact mark, you can essentially shock the system and the inboxes like Google will put like a governor on you. So she emailed all 50,000 people, the emails went to spam. And she's like, they didn't even realize that at first. So they continued doing that for months, like two months. They were getting like a three, four percent open rate and they're like something's not right and her team started looking at the situation like oh my goodness all of our emails are going to spam we don't know why and then they got in contact with me which when i was able to say okay you have been basically like penalized by google for not following the correct procedures and because of that they don't trust you as a sender because on the surface what you're doing and what it looks like you're doing is very similar to what like spammers will do, which is just get as many names, scrape the internet for email addresses and just email them. And so, you know, Google and all the other inboxes, they're in the business of providing a good user experience for the people who are on their platforms and they don't want to deliver emails that could potentially be spam or harmful or scams, things like that. And so then we had to go through a process where we restored their reputation and then we're able to start sending in, in higher volumes. So if that were to happen with 50,000 contacts, imagine how bad it would be with 100,000 contacts. And if it's depending on all the settings and how you have things set up, it can also impact your ability to send from the old platform as well. So you kind of tarnish your name and your reputation in the eyes of the inboxes. So yeah, that's... That's kind of the, the, the gist of it. But imagine, imagine your business relies on revenue. You think, great, we have a launch coming up in two months. We just finished this migration. It's all good. We got 50,000 people. And then all of a sudden, you're not able to send. This is what happened with them. They couldn't send more than 2,000 emails at a time. So then they started creating all these segments where they're having to send out 20 versions of the same email to 2,000 person segments. And it's just, it was not working well. It makes me think about like, okay, let's say you get oh, 25% open rates regularly and whatever, 2% click through. And so you're making, let's just make up a number. Like, let's say you're doing 10K a month in like email revenue with your like, not even that high of an open rate, right? Like 25%. Then you go down to 2%. That 10K, I'm not a math person, but that 10K would be like down to in the hundreds, right? And I think that can be really scary. And then those of us with small lists like mine, which is like 200, I still don't want to end up in the spam and the promos. And I don't know how to not do it. So selfishly, I'm I'm so excited about this uh, conversation that we're having because I think some of the things, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think some of the things we do to get emails opened, like use emojis or, you know, like you see them in the inbox better because there's color, et cetera, could also be the same sorts of things that like spam does. Is that true? Like are some of the things that we're doing as copywriters making us seem like spammers and how can we negate that? Not necessarily. So it's like, there's so there's like before we did this call, I like went through my list of all the deliverability stuff. And there's like 24 things at least that can impact your your placement. And I will say to I will preface this by saying 
people understand the word deliverability and that's if you if you ask someone do you have a deliverability problem they have a concept of what that means even if they don't know what is going on do you have a problem with your emails being delivered and opened and engagement in that area but like very few people that are reputable business owners actually have a deliverability problem because a true deliverability problem is when you send an email and it doesn't get delivered so if an email doesn't get delivered it's because you have either something that's very wrong with your technical configuration or your reputation is so bad that Google and Outlook and AOL and Yahoo have just decided we are not going to accept emails from the sender. So like, that's the sort of stuff you see from like the political senders and like hot people in your area tonight, senders, spam senders, you know? So like very few people that I've worked with actually have that sort of problem but they do have a placement problem. And so a placement problem is when your emails end up in spam or in the promotions folder, because an email that you send that goes to spam is still technically considered delivered from a sender. So that's really what we're talking about here. And then your question about like, oh, using emojis and different subject lines and preview text tricks and body copy and all of that stuff, all of those things definitely can impact where you end up, but, they are sort of like, those are like the 80% of things that impact 20% of your results. And the 20% is like your technical configuration and your sender reputation, because there are people that do crazy things in subject lines, whose lists that I'm on, who send insane subject lines. Like there's this one person, I, I, I forget the person, but they're, every single subject line, it's like, are you ready to become a millionaire today? but they're doing something right and all of their messages go to the inbox. They do crazy gifts and images and their body copy is okay. insane and amazing versus other people who are just normal senders sending vanilla subject lines go to promo or spam. So it really depends on your list, the engagement, your reputation and, and all of that. Okay, so I'm so curious how we then build good reputations and to just like backtrack a little bit. So the client you guys are working with moved from Kajabi to ActiveCampaign. Does something like Kajabi or, you know, these like all-in-one solutions that provide email, but it's not all that great. And they provide all the other things too. Like I've wondered if using those platforms influences sender reputation or if the two are like divorced? This is a great question. And I've actually been thinking about this a lot because of this specific project that we're working on. And it's something that I've been paying attention to just over the past few years anyways. And like, like I said, I am a copywriter that learned all this stuff. I'm not a developer. If you ask me, what is the architecture of a IP, a shared IP sending pool. I don't know. I know enough to make my way through the different levels of support and get things configured and get things set up correctly for my clients, but I'm not a developer. So just a quick preface there. And I'm really not a big Kajabi fan. Like I get it. If I were not, if I didn't have my skill set and if I was just starting my own online business from scratch, it would be super attractive because it's got everything, it does payments content protection, website, podcast, email. And like for a lot of people, it's an amazing 
platform, but it is it is it is pretty good at a lot of things. And it's not really great at any one thing other than the content protection sort of membership site online course portal side of things. That said, what I see and my theory is that sometimes Kajabi can actually have a better email placement and deliverability profile than the other senders because it has a much smaller user pool than something like ConvertKit, Drip, MailChimp, ActiveCampaign, Klaviyo. And the type of person that's using Kajabi, you have a wide variety of businesses, but it's not like these huge e-commerce brands or like these big corporations that are on it. And the other thing that's interesting too about the way Kajabi, one of the ways they handle their email deliverability is they don't actually connect it to your domain. They're sending email on behalf of you. So your name is getting displayed. Like if you used Kajabi for your email, Shanti would say, Shanti Zach, but the email address it's sending from is actually a Kajabi email address and it's sending from their domain. So like the pro and con of this is that one, they're shouldering the entire burden and responsibility of the email reputation. The Mm -hmm. con of that is, is that unless you manually set up your deliverability settings, which they let you do, you never get to build your own domain and sender reputation. And so because of that, like I've tested emails side by side, the same email sent from Kajabi, the same email sent from ActiveCampaign. One will go to inbox, one will go to promo. That said, like from a long-term perspective, and if you take control of this for your business, a dedicated email tool like ActiveCampaign or ConvertKit is going to give you much better placement and email engagement over time. The other thing that is, you know, not, I don't know what's going on with Kajabi, what they're, what they're doing, but they don't have the ability to filter out Apple privacy opens. And not every email tool does. Like, I don't think, I don't think ConvertKit does. Mm-hmm. They're, some like some ESPs are just taking the stance of we're not going to report on this, even though it's very possible and it doesn't seem that complicated to identify when the phone opens the email versus when a person opens the email. So it can be deceptive because if you go into Kajabi and you look at your past two months of email sending history, oh, it says you have a 40% open rate. But what I've what I've seen time and time again, and what I saw just yesterday with this project is. This, this specific account has at like the high end, 30% Apple privacy opens. So 45% reported open in Kajabi is actually only a 15% open rate. So if you go in thinking, oh, I'm getting a 40% open rate, everything's all good. It's really not, you know, you really need to subtract at least 20% from all of your opens in a tool that doesn't have the ability to filter out Apple privacy opens. So. I think that answered the first part of your question. What was the second part? Yeah, oh, that's so fascinating. And it makes total sense that they would they would use their reputation that's going to get their clients good results, but you're not building your own reputation. So someone like the client you're working with is now theoretically building a, rep, a reputation from scratch despite being in business and sending consistent emails for years, right? Exactly. That's exactly what we're doing. Wow. Okay. So my other question was, if 
the copy and the, the emojis and the subject lines and the GIFs and images in the in the email, if that's all like not the big needle mover when it comes mm-hmm. to deliverability and reputation, what is? Like, how do we then do the 20% of things that lead to 80% of the positive results? Great question. Yeah, so the way to do this, so there's there's a tool called Google Postmaster Tools, which is free. It's my, in my opinion, it's like the most underrated Google tool. And you connect it to your domain and it will give you a report of what your domain reputation is. So how they are grading your domain if you if you're using a custom IP, you can also connect it to your IP and you can get a report on your IP. But like if you use if you use a shared domain with Active Campaign Convert to Clavio, et cetera, they won't give you that data, even if you ask repeatedly nicely over and over again. And then they'll also give you, there's a bunch of reports in there, like authentication reports, deliverability errors, like are there messages that aren't getting delivered. But the other one that's really important is the spam complaint percentage. So the way to maintain a high domain rating and low spam complaints is really to send to your most engaged contacts as much as possible. And that's like the plain vanilla advice, but that's also not realistic. Like if you only send to your the most engaged segment, you have 50,000 people on your list, maybe that's 10,000. A lot of those people are already your customers and they may not, depending on your business and the types of products you sell, they may not be interested in buying more things from you. But what you can do is, is you can filter out the people who are truly disengaged. You don't have to unsubscribe them, but just make sure that they're muted from your non-essential emails. So if you're sending out like newsletters or podcast emails all the time, you want to maintain at least a 35 to 40% true open rate to just be able to stay in the inbox and not go to the promo tab because it's a signal to the inboxes that people want to receive and open and read your emails. And then when it's time to do a launch, you can gradually warm up to reach that broader audience without damaging your reputation. But if you go throughout the year and you just send to everyone, you send to all 50,000 contacts and you get a 15%, 13%, 17%, 10% sort of open. Then when it comes time to send those like mission critical emails, you're not, it's going to be much harder for you to get to the inbox. And so by kind of maintaining good sending practices like that and keeping your list clean and sending to emails that can receive emails, you're going to maintain a good sender reputation. And then things like clicks, replies, all those things obviously impact the sender reputation as well. Right. So we were talking before we hit record about this strategy that I saw. Uh, Caitlin Bourget, I know it's French and I should be able to pronounce it, but I can't. Her newsletter, Why We Buy. So she sends out this automated welcome email, confirmation email immediately after someone subscribes. And I'm just going to pull it up and read it because why not? Here's the gist. She sent the welcome email and and on on the landing page for the newsletter, it says you're going to get a special gift. Go check your email. 
And then you, you open the email and it says to get your special gift, you have to hit reply and just say, just say hi, nothing crazy. And so I hit reply. I say hi. And a few minutes later, I get an email that contains the link to my special gift. And I'm like, damn, she's probably getting a large percentage of new subscribers actually replying, right? But how is this automation happening where this gift is just landing in their box a few minutes? So I'll give you my theory. You want to hear my theory, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, your theory is perfect. And I will say too, this is super smart and it's probably something I'm going to ask my clients to do as well or build processes for my clients to do as well because one of the most important things from a deliverability email health standpoint is to get a new subscriber to open, click, and ideally reply within the first 30 days of being on your list. If somebody is disengaged, after receiving a bunch of emails from you within the first 30 day period, it's a really negative signal. So my theory, and do you know what tool she's using, Shanti, is she on active campaign? How can I find that out? So if you go to the email and then there's like the three dots, like at the far end of the, like the email message, like kind of parallel to the subject line, you click oh, those Oh, right, yes, okay. Wait, keep telling us because I want everyone to know how to find out which platform. I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can see. You can like hover over those dots and then click show original and it'll bring up the HTML version or the plain text version of the email. And then it'll tell you like who sent it, what IP it came from, and then like what was the, like who signed the SPF. So if it's like EM send to or something, that's active campaign. If it's like Kmail or whatever, that's Klaviyo. If it's mc.sv that's mailchimp convert kits like ck or something okay it's convert okay it's convert kit so I'm, I'm not as familiar with convert kit but my feeling is it's probably very similar to the way it's done in other tools which is all of these platforms have the ability to build automations and automations can be triggered based on any number of events so you can trigger an automation to start based on a reply to a specific campaign so like an active campaign, the way you would do this is you start an automation. The trigger is contact replies to this email. When that actually happens, then next step, send this email, the welcome gift. I'm curious if, if they're doing some sort of message interpretation, because if you if someone responds to that email, please unsubscribe me. I don't know how I got on your list. They're probably still going to get that email because of the way the automation is set up. There's really no way to like semantically analyze an email like that unless you have some crazy tool I've never heard of, plus Zapier. But that's that's my guess of how they're doing it. It's just the reply is triggering the automation, which is then sending the content delivery email. I did get um, a genuine reply after. So I got the automated, the automated email delivering the free thing. And then I got another email from Caitlin that was just responding to my reply. Was so it they like must her? I think it was her. But do you think it's because she knows you? I don't know. It was nothing, it was nothing special. I she was just like, hey Shanti. I'm like, hey Caitlin. 
So, I mean, there's there's ways you can do that too. She could have an assistant that responds to all those emails. She could be doing it herself if she's insane, you know, in an amazing way. Or you can trigger, like a zap can trigger a personal message to be sent from a Gmail account, you know, or Google Workspace account. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I know what my afternoon is going to be after this. And you're going to get a whole bunch of flurry of messages from me, Matt, where I'm like, okay, I'm just revamping the entire post quiz welcome sequence. Let's go. Um, because I, <laughs> he's like, I'm not answering, but I love this like hit reply. And like, yeah, I love this because you're actually, it's like, you actually know that people want that. Then I know Daniel Throssell too. He won't let you join his list unless you reply to the first email on the list, like the confirmation email, you need to hit reply to it. And I think he like asks you to like solemnly swear you're going to open his emails every day or some, or something like that. Right. So, I mean, I understand that that might logistically not work for everything, but I do love the idea of forcing, forcing the people on your list to start engaging or, you know, lovingly inviting them, uh, to start engaging <laughs> right from the beginning. Cause otherwise, yeah. like you said, so what happens if nobody replies or opens in 30 days, like then your, your just reputation just starts going down. Right. If, if every email gets totally ignored. Yeah, and this is like when your email list will start like developing like this sediment at the bottom of the list where there's this whole segment of disengaged people who have never done anything that are just there that you're continually sending to. And like the most, one of the top negative signals is if you're routinely sending to a high volume of people who never open your emails. Mm. So one of the first things I do when I go into someone's new like I do all these audits for people. One of the first things I do when I go into their account is I just search, show me everyone who is subscribed has never opened an email. And you would be shocked at sometimes how big that segment is. Like it can be 70, 80% of a list sometimes, depending on what their practices have been, how they clean their lists and all of that stuff. So like if you're feeling brave and you want to do that in your own account, just, you know, Hold your breath, press search and, and see what happens. Cause yeah, it can be a really big number. And the bigger that number is compared to your total amount of subscribers can be like a really great litmus test as to what sort of problems you have. I worked with a client earlier this year who had around 400,000 subscribers in active campaign. They'd never done a list scrub ever. Oh, <laughs> and let me tell you, it, it is fascinating to see under the hood of, you know, someone with that large of a list getting such poor results because of their lack of, and I think it was just a lack of understanding around what they needed to be doing to keep their list happy and healthy and to build a good reputation, like it, the, it's funny when you were chatting earlier about your client's experience in migrating their whole list and they had no idea about any of this and Google is penalizing them for not following proper protocol. And like, it, it reminds me of like parenting and like you have a kid and 
nobody tells you what to do. There's no guidebook. It's like, you're just kind of figuring it out as you go. And it's, it's absolutely completely different things, but similarity is that like how you don't know what you don't know. And so, you know, you just kind of do your best and deliverability and reputation. It feels like this sort of like mystical thing that is hard to crack and it's not that clear what the best practices are. So hopefully this episode helps people, but you said something earlier too, that I want to come back to, which is that the true open rate should be like 35, 40% most of the time. Yeah. So how do we determine true open rate? Because the way you were talking about Apple privacy opens is different from the, the way that I've heard it explained of how to interpret that number compared to total open rate. Like I've heard there's overlap between Apple privacy opens and total open rate. So I'm confused there is, there is. Practice is to just subtract it. Mm. So that's my recommendation for people who have a tool that it has the inability to filter out Apple privacy opens because there's no way to know um, with a tool like Kajabi, I think ConvertKit, MailChimp, like sadly, many of them. I know Clavio can and I know ActiveCampaign can, but the way Apple privacy opens work is that when someone's phone is plugged in and connected to Wi-Fi, it will open every email it receives on the phone. And I think I'm, I gotta get up to speed on this too. I think that this is now true for desktop Apple mail inbox clients. I as think well. it is. I think it is. And so like an active campaign, which I think you use, right, Shanti? You have the ability to go into any campaign or automation email report, hit a switch and turn off Apple privacy opens. So it will tell you what percentage were opened by a human guaranteed and what percentage were opened by Apple, Apple privacy open. The issue, because the way that this works is that every email client embeds a tiny little pixel in each email when that pixel is viewed, like it's an image file, they know, okay, this has been opened. Apple's opening those emails and triggering that pixel. And there's these tools have developed a way to know when that's happening versus when a human is opening it. However, once it's opened by Apple, privacy opens, that the human can still then go and open that email as well. But it's not going to report that because it's already been triggered. And so if they click like an active campaign, then a click that was previously an Apple privacy open is then reported as a true open. And so if you have a 20% Apple privacy open report, there's going to be a percentage in there that is a true open. And Google knows that. They know too when it's really being open, but the email tools aren't able to filter that out. So like you kind of have to just, it is somewhat mystical. And like to go back to what you said as well, like I always think about how like email deliverability is like this game we all have to play, but there's no rule book. We, no one's teaching the rules and you kind of have to piece together stuff from the support documentation for the for the email service tools 
really vague, unclear Google guideline policies, like some guy on YouTube's theory, you know, all this stuff, and then put it into practice and see what happens. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how I look at it. Okay. That's that's good insight. That is that is on par with what I thought. And yeah, it, it's like kind of impossible at this point to get a exact open rate that's accurate. That's why the, the most important thing is just to go on the true reported opens and to look at your click percentage because that's gonna be that's gonna be really telling. But if your tool that you're using doesn't have the ability to filter out Apple privacy opens, that's why I say just as a rule of thumb, subtract 20% from whatever the reported open is. It could be much less. Like I've seen lists, it really depends on the makeup and complexion of your list as well, because you could have a list that's full of people that have iOS 15, 16, 17, whatever the latest Apple versions are. Or you could have a list where there's only 5% of those people. So it really depends. And right. it's, yeah. How do we attract Android <laughs> Windows? I mean, maybe there's a, I, you know, I'm really out of touch with Facebook ads, but maybe there's a way to do device targeting, you know? Oh, I wonder. I wonder. That would be very nerdy. Yeah. And also maybe not necessarily like to your benefit because it's possible people who buy the newest iPhone are the ones who are most likely to buy your thing too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know that we can figure that out in this, uh, in this podcast. Okay. So that's really neat. I was just, while you were chatting, I looked at the Apple privacy opens on uh, like a, an email that we sent out. And I saw that like some of them got opened eight times, like one person opened it eight times. So I'm pretty sure that's not like Apple privacy, but a whole bunch of them were just one time. Wow. Yeah. And so that's like where that's just your, your Apple privacy. So interesting. And I know like Joe, uh, Joanna Weeb is like, don't track opens anymore. Like that is not, especially, and I love to talk about list scrubbing, especially for list scrubbing now because of the Apple opens. But I have this like fear about list scrubbing where, I mean, sometimes I don't open someone's stuff for a couple months and then they launch and they're like selling the thing I want. And I'm like all about it. So I have this and I, and I know you and I were chatting a little bit about this. Like I have this fear of list scrubbing where it's like all of a sudden half of your list is gone and they were just waiting for the thing that they were interested in. And like, if you're not going to use opens as your main, I don't know, decision maker, then what, and I know you can use clicks or replies, et cetera, but that feels like asking a lot from someone too, who's like not really caring about you trying to scrub your list. They're just waiting for you to launch the next thing that they're interested in. So how do you list scrub in such a way so that you don't end up with like a list of 400,000 where you only have 50,000 engaged people um, and you don't have a list of like 6,000 that all of a sudden is 2,000 because you were like really cleaning your list list well what what do you do yeah so first of all to speak to joanna who i have the utmost respect for i agree that like open rates should not be your metric of success because too you can write crazy clickbaity subject lines you get a huge open but then upset people if you don't pay it off in the body copy but like the open rate is just like the pulse you know like if 
if we're not paying attention to open rates at all, then you that's how you can get into trouble with, okay, we have six months worth of 8% open rates. Okay, well, that's definitely not good. It's something you need to be paying attention to. But if you're like trying to decide like, how successful am I? How successful was this email? Who's engaged versus unengaged on my list? Opens is not the only thing to pay attention to. What I prioritize with my clients is can we get 100% of your emails to go to the inbox, not in the promo tab, not in the spam folder to get delivered and go to the inbox. So if you can get 100% of the emails into the inbox, that's like the metric of success that I strive to achieve for my clients. But then in terms of list scrubbing, there's two ways to, there's a lot of ways to think about this, but there's two ways that I approach list cleaning. So the first is objective list cleaning, where you export your entire list and you import it into a tool like Emailable. I really like Emailable and it will verify every email to tell you whether or not it's deliverable, whether or not it's a spam trap email, because there are robots just out there, I'm sure, that are just signing up for your email list. They'll find any landing page, any form, and try to get on your list and all of that. And tell you which ones are risky emails, which ones are kind of catch-all, like info at something, support at something. And then you can make an informed decision about what to do with that report. So for example, if you upload 50,000 contacts into Emailable, you get a report back that says 95% of these people are good, deliverable, high quality email addresses. Great, they get tagged in active campaign. Then you have the ones that are undeliverable. So maybe there's 3%. Then I would go in and I would tag all those people and then unsubscribe them. Mm -hmm. Or filter out, are they customers? Have they done something recently? What? Just take a little bit closer look at their engagement and then make your best judgment from there about who to keep and who not to keep. But if you tag everyone like emailable, risky, and then run a search, who's everyone who has the risky tag and has never opened an email? Okay, goodbye, you're gone. Then you have like the, or sorry, that was unbelievable. Then you have the risky ones. I would recommend the same thing for them. Tag them, look at their behavior, and then decide whether or not to keep them. The dangerous thing about this though, too, is that you have been in the promo tab for a year, six months, two years, however long. Then you could have a really big disengaged segment of your list who just has not been seeing your emails, have not been opening them. And so like, if you have that report, 95% of them are deliverable, but 40% of them haven't opened an email in six months, then what I would recommend is isolate them and mute them because they're not seeing and opening your emails anyways. Mute them until you restore your reputation enough that you can get all of your emails into the inbox and then approach them with like a mea culpa. I'm so sorry, I messed up my email. You haven't been seeing my messages. If you wanna stay, click. If you don't want to stay, click here and no hard feelings. I totally get it. This is my bad. And those emails always perform super well for me because it's like you're kind of being humble and taking the blame and owning up for your thing. And like, obviously people unsubscribe, but the people who stay are much in a much greater percentage than the people who don't. And then from there, you can look just purely on an engagement standpoint and then decide from there. But I would not recommend, especially if you have placement problems, um, just unsubscribing people based on inactivity because it's not necessarily a true indicator of their interest in you or your brand and your emails. So. Okay. Okay. This is so good. I really need to stop my automated list scrub, I think. 
Yes. Yeah. And revisit this this episode and get all the people who do all the email things to listen <laughs> because like we've had this automated list scrub running for years now and if i'm not actively doing things to grow my list i'm not running ads and getting on podcasts my list does not grow it just like because of the automated list scrub people are being automatically unsubscribed it's just like stagnant mm-hmm. and yeah it could be they're not they're not seeing my emails yes. it's not that you they should, don't you should test too where those automated unsubscribed emails are going are they going to the promo folder because if they are then there's a really high probability that they're not even seeing them in the first place and the other thing too is that automations can go stale so if you test placement on your automated emails at the beginning then they all go to the inbox. Great. You think you're good and you can just set it and forget it. But the thing, like the key difference between like a campaign and an automation is that a campaign you're sending out usually to the entire list. So maybe 20,000 people, 50,000 people. Okay. Google gets a sense of what these emails are like, but an automation is evergreen and people are just going through it at their own time. So at any point in time, there could be a hundred people in an email and it's only sending out a few emails each day. So it takes a lot longer for Google to get a perspective on how people interact with this automation versus a campaign that goes out to everyone. So a message that it liked initially, if after six months, it's like, oh, only 15% of the people open and click this email. Then it says, okay, this is an email people don't want to get and they'll move it to the promo folder. So you have to be routinely testing all of your emails, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. The reason I asked about the list scrub was selfishly, unselfishly, so that we could tell Shanti about this because I had this fear of that list scrub that we wrote a couple of years ago that that might be happening. So thank you for sharing that. Can you tell us how to find out where the emails are going? Like how how do we know where they are? (laughs) Yes. And I will say too, like before we get into that, And like, you know, this is probably going to be a controversial take. Maybe, I don't know. I'm in my little email cave over here. So I don't know what everyone else feels about this. But like the spam laws are, is that you can't email people who have opted out of your emails. And so if you are proactively unsubscribing people to keep your list clean, they haven't opted out. And so these are people who have, have never made a decision to stop receiving emails from you. You have. And you can find those people in your email tool and you can email them again if you want. However, that's risky because if you haven't emailed someone in like two years and then all of a sudden they get an email from you, they're like, wait a second, who's Shanti? What is this market spam? So for those people, again, take this with a grain of salt and, you know, do your own thinking and research, but you can create a different domain to send emails from that's disconnected from your primary domain and hook up a different email tool Mm. to email those people in an isolated quarantine environment that's not gonna impact your main domain and brand sender reputation to then have them decide whether or not to stay on your list. And you can 
There's a lot of tools that you can do this for, and if a click is what you need to get them reactivated, that click can trigger something that then resubscribes them to your list in Active Campaign or wherever. You can use Zapier. There's a lot of different ways to do that. That said, like there are things you have to do to establish a new domain to be able to do this effectively. But if you have 20,000 people that you proactively unsubscribed and you think maybe they would love to keep hearing from you, then you can write a really fun, creative email that's kind of like, will you take me back? Or the, uh, what, what's the movie uh, where he's holding up the stereo outside the window? Um, yes, Love is it Love Actually? I don't think it's Love Actually, but it's it's like, it's the guy from High Fidelity. Yeah, John. John Cusack. Yeah. I'm going to look it okay. up. Okay. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I probably do have 20,000 people on that list that I've just been like, you don't like me anymore. Bye. Yeah. The, the word of caution I will give people, though, is that I have had clients that really wanted to do this and we did it, but Google shut down their domain because it, it got such a high span complaint. So like, do at your own caution, do your research, do it in a smart way where you can keep your spam complaints under 1%. So yeah. Yeah. I just had some ideas that I'll save for not, not on a podcast. Um, the movie is say anything, uh, say anything. <laughs> just to come back to it. And I, I'm pretty sure if anyone can write an amazing email like that, it would obviously be, um, Shanti, but we would want to make sure that it didn't go to the promo tabs again. Right. So how would uh, no? <laughs> right. Okay. So this is how, you know, there's a number of ways that you can do this. And I do two tasks for every email that I'm responsible for sending or, or getting placed. So I have probably 10 test accounts with Google because I'm always optimizing for Google. Like if you can get into the inbox in Google, unless you have some other stuff going on, you're going to inbox with Yahoo, AOL, Soho, mail.com, uh, Hotmail, Outlook, all those ones. And so I have like 10 test accounts. An active campaign allows you to send five test emails at a time. They've recently imposed this like limit, which has made my life a lot harder where you can't send more than like I think 20 in like a five minute time span. So it takes a little bit longer now, but I have like two, I have two sets of test accounts and these are email addresses where I have just opted in for every single list I can imagine. Everybody that I've, any website that ever has opted in, I just put all my test accounts in there so that it resembles a crowded inbox that a normal person is gonna be subscribed to. So these look like regular people's Emails. I look like my mom's or anyone's email account. We've got e-commerce stuff, all, you know, all sorts of stuff. And then I send every email to those test accounts to see where they go. When you have a really good reputation, the email is just going to inbox on all of them. And that's my first test. And then what I do is, is I duplicate that campaign and then I send it to a seed group with Glock apps. I think it's pronounced Glock apps. I've been saying Glock apps for years. Maybe it's G-Lock apps, but it's a email deliverability testing tool. So they give you a seed list of every main email address across the world. It's like 71 email addresses. I load that seed list into the client's account. It's like in its own isolated area. They're never gonna receive regular emails. 
they give you like an ID that you put into the email. And then I send every email to the seed list. And then it gives you a report of where did it go? And the thing about this is, and this is what I do with my test accounts as well, there's what's considered interactive accounts and non-interactive accounts. So an interactive Gmail account is one where people open emails, click, forward, reply. And then non-interactive is where nothing happens. It's like the email address where the person forgot that they have it, but they're just still getting emails from people. And so it'll give you a report about where it goes. And so if you get inbox 100% in every type of Gmail account, you're basically, you're good to go. And that's how you get the 40% open rates consistently if you're doing all the other things right as well from a copy and messaging and audience attraction standpoint. So that's that's how you know, that's how I know. Hmm. And you go through that process and let's say you land in promotions, you're like, it's just a, it's just a data point that tells you, you need to do more work on improving your reputation or would your next step be to then like go back to the email and change the subject line or change the body copy or remove your big gift files, like what would your next move be? Okay, great question. Yes. <laughs> so at this point, usually when I'm working with the client, I have a sense of where they are from a reputation standpoint. And there are things that you can do, like you can send it's like inactive campaign and all this, the tools you can turn off link tracking. Okay. Cause the way link tracking works is that active campaign will convert the link to shantizak.com slash quiz to ACE LMB 299, whatever. And that's how they know whether or not it has been clicked or not. So you can turn off link tracking and then put a link to a Google document in the email body. And then when you send it, it will appear in the inbox like a regular person sending a coworker a Google document where it comes up with like the icon, you know, how like in the email subject line display area, like you can just click the Google document directly yeah. and go straight to the document. Yeah. So like, that's like a litmus test basically for whether you have a reputation error or a copy design, some, you know, too big of a gift error. So if I can get a client's, email to land in the inbox with a Google document like that. Okay. I know their reputation is good enough that Google's going to prioritize their messages that are, you know, that are good enough, basically that don't have other problems. But if Google sends that email to the promo tab, then, you know, you have a reputation error. So that's like the litmus test basically, because Google wants to prioritize the use of their products to their users. So it's like, if they're if they're if they're not going to deliver a Google document email to the inbox, okay, now you have to work on this restoration. But if it is there, and I've already done this at this point for the client, then I know okay, now it's time to test the subject line, the preview text, the body copy. Let's remove the GIF. Don't put your social links in the footer. You know all of that other stuff. So mm -hmm. okay. But then yeah, like if some if a client that I'm working with has a really good reputation and their message is going to promo, then I'll try a different subject line. I'll take out the emoji. I'll add an emoji. It's like, it's not as simple as like, are emojis good or not? Mm. Like there are some rules, like you're not supposed to use a question mark and an exclamation point in the subject line. 
Oh. I'm not supposed to use too much caps in the subject line, but I get it, I get messages like that to inbox all the time because the reputation is high enough. And like a really good example of this is like you guys know Tim Ferriss mm -hmm. and Ben Greenfield. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Tim, every single one of his emails goes to every inbox that I have. I don't work for Tim, but every single one of his emails goes to the inbox. And his subject lines get cut off because they're so long. He puts right. like the entire podcast title in the subject line. And it's like, it could be a paragraph almost, or like many complete sentences. And it's just because his reputation is high enough and whoever's running his email marketing is doing a good enough job that they're able to inbox. And he has that sort of fame factor that trumps everything else. Whereas Ben Greenfield, who I love and does podcasts, they talk about a lot of the same topics, health, all that stuff, supplements. All of his emails go to promo. And he's for some reason using Klaviyo, probably because he has the e-commerce brand. But his subject lines appear much safer, but it's the reputation that is determining where the emails go. So Hmm, sounds like an ideal client for you. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, pitch Ben Greenfield. Hey Ben, let's let's talk. <laughs> if you're Find out where I'll drive up to Spokane to to come hang, and we'll do an email there. Yeah, we still need to do our launch spa. Oh my goodness! Every I pitch every one of my clients on that. Like when they're in the worst part of the launch, and they're all just like. Yes, we would do that. That sounds amazing. So yes, no, we it's a we got something. Still I works. mean, I did it. Someone's mad. I'm sorry, but we had to get proof of concept, and we did it in the fall when I launched Girl with Quizzes. We all went to Halcyon, and it was glorious. Oh my goodness, it sounds so, amazing. Yeah, it's happening. Hey. Is there anything else? I mean, I know there's so much else that people need to know, but is there anything else that you think people need to know from listening to this podcast that you'd like to share with them in relation to deliverability prior to us closing and starting to talk about new tropics off the podcast? So I think the only thing that I would also like to share is that like, I know this stuff, it seems like opaque, very technical, like a hassle. But if having a deliverability problem is actually one of the best problems that you can have as a business owner because it's extremely solvable. Mm -hmm. It's like a formula, you know? It's like, if you've done all the other work in your business to get your product right, to understand your market, to get your messaging dialed in, you have great copy, a great offer. Like if you have a business that works, and you have a deliverability problem, solving that is just going to make everything else even better. And it is very solvable. So like, even though it sounds overwhelming and like intense and like a pain that you don't want to deal with, it's like, I, I love working on these projects because it like satisfies the objective part of my brain where it doesn't really matter who you are and your the specific things. It's just like, if you do these things, it will it will work out for you. So it's like, it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of following the plan. And yeah, whereas if like, you don't have product market fit or you don't understand your audience or you don't have a good offer, like those things are much harder to solve than this, just like a purely objective problem. So mm. that's all I'd say kind of about that. Yeah, that's 
That's wisdom right there. <laughs> and you solve the problem and immediately like you're rewarded because we know that email is where it's at. Mm. So if you can land in the right places and you got the other stuff figured out, you're winning. And, and if you're a copywriter too, I know that you you probably need like a certain interest set and like like desire to explore the technical side of things. But if you you are a copywriter who's competing against another copywriter to write emails for a client, and one says, I can write you amazing emails, and you say, I can write you an e amazing emails that always get open, always go to the inbox. Like that's a unique mechanism that you can use oh, to yeah. differentiate yourself in the marketplace. So it has only been a good thing for me to invest in learning about this stuff to serve better serve my clients. Oh man. Yeah, that's huge. Dawn was like beating her head against a wall the other day, figuring out active campaign integration stuff. And I was like, it's good. It's good. You're going to know more than the average marketer, copywriter, online business. And it's nice to know enough to be dangerous. And it doesn't take much for someone to deem you an active campaign genius. If you just learn how to use it, because most people actually don't learn it. They pay $10,000 a year for their active campaign account. They never really learn how to use it. If you just learn how to use it, like you're going to be so much further ahead than even the people who are paying for it, you know? Yeah, I need to learn some things. I'm just like, someone else do it for me. Or not. Yeah, but... just hire someone. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, before we, before we end, can we chat a little bit about Deadline Funnel? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We were talking about this before we hit record and Matt said he's a big fan of deadline funnel for anyone who doesn't know what deadline funnel is. Essentially it's a software that allows you to within your, well, Matt can probably explain it better than me actually, but in an evergreen funnel, something that's available theoretically all the time, you can put expirations on bonuses like say like you have a fast action bonus deadline funnel can help you track who should get that bonus based on when they bought which version of the sales page they should get and it, it helps to emulate the feel of a live launch which with evergreen is pretty important because if you're just like get this thing there's no urgency. There's no reason to get it now. Human nature is to always like procrastinate. So Deadline Funnel helps to combat that. And I've had some clients recently wondering like, is it worth using? Should I use it for my evergreen funnel? Should I just... And, I myself am redoing an evergreen funnel. So I'm like, do we, do we go with deadline funnel or do we try and like track who gets the fast action bonus based on a tag in active campaign? Like, yeah. <laughs> Curious as to your thoughts, Matt. Yeah. So I, I really like deadline funnel as a tool and I have met Jack. I really like Jack, the founder of deadline funnel. He's a great guy. 
And the thing I will say about this is that I feel like for a lot of my clients and the people I talk with about this sort of thing, they can get really hung up on like the countdown timers. They don't want to use countdown timers and it's like aggressive and feels weird. And the thing about deadline funnel is that you don't have to use the countdown timers. That's like one of their sort of brightest features that they call attention to. But the, the really great thing about deadline funnel is it's, and maybe the marketplace has evolved since the last time I really investigated this because I basically just use deadline funnel as my default tool when I'm doing something like this. But it's really one of the only ways to create a true, authentic, evergreen deadline. And by that, I mean, what a lot of people do is they just use the built-in WordPress timer or you know, email timer or whatever, some other auxiliary tool, the Kajabi timer, that when somebody goes to a page, the timer starts, you have seven minutes to buy this thing or not. And then if they don't buy and they just refresh the page or open in incognito, it's just going to reset. And so that immediately loses the trust of the person who is considering this and just invites them to game the system or not buy or anything at all. So with Deadline Funnel, the way that it works is that their tool has the ability to actually kind of create a fingerprint for every single person that enters the funnel and then create an actual sort of airtight container for that person to go through this experience that ends with an authentic deadline of that specific offer. Mm -hmm. And so like you said, if you want to give somebody 24 or 48 hours, however long to buy something or to do something, then when that period ends for them, regardless of how else they try to do that, unless they like turn on a VPN, get on a different computer in a different state or something like that, it's really going to be over for them. And it allows you to actually make them a one-time offer. And you don't have to use the countdown timers because that's just one feature of what can be displayed on a page. And you can describe the deadline in other ways, like in copy, um, different ways on the page. And when it's over, it's over. And if they try to visit that URL, the sales page or the checkout page, deadline fund will redirect them to the full price or to something that says, sorry, you missed out on this. And so, you know, there's, I'm sure a debate could be had about evergreen offers in general, but I find that they're very effective and it's just a great tool to to use to get it set up so yeah you don't you don't have to use the the countdown timers if you don't want yeah that is definitely the the sticky point often and the like false false scarcity but it is genuine like if someone gets to the end of that funnel and they don't buy they're redirected to like I used to have it redirect to a waitlist page for yeah. when we like did a live launch the next time. So do you know if it's tracking based off email or is it IP address? The last time I kind of looked into how they do it, it's a combination of a lot of things because it works in incognito. And in order to, to use the countdown timers, you do have to sync it up with an email, but the email is not required for the deadline to be effective. So like you can send somebody from an ad 
to a page with deadline funnel on it. And I think that's what a lot of people use it for, like a self-liquidating offer funnel. Right. And you have 10 minutes, 15 minutes to decide whether or not to buy this $17. Yeah, whatever. right. And, and so there's no email involved in the picture at that point. So it's got to be using your IP or like some sort of browser cookie or something like that, that knows that this person has entered the funnel. They have this amount of time. And when you go into like the deadline funnel analytics area, you can see how many people have entered the funnel, but you won't necessarily be able to see their email. The way it works with email and the importance of the email synchronization is if you want to dynamically display the countdown or the, the time, and there's, there's a lot of ways that you can do it. You can do it with text as well. You don't have to do it with the countdown timer, but they do need to know the email address. So you inform, we instruct active campaign to like send a webhook to deadline funnel, but then syncs up the time. And then that's what gets displayed in the countdown timer sent to everybody basically. So. So cool. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that insight. Of course. Send this episode to a few people. I know who it will be very helpful for oh, myself boy. included. <laughs> I'm like, all right, Matt, I need to hire you to set up this deadline funnel because I ain't doing it. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, me too. Exactly. And perhaps many people listening. So on that note, Matt, if people wanted to hire you to do anything and, or hear more about this, maybe have you on their podcast where could they find you? Yes, the best place to find me is to just send me an email. My email is matt at mattbrowncopy.com. I should probably get a more up-to-date domain name that reflects everything that I do, but I can't think of a name either. So if you have any ideas, shoot me an email and I, I will gladly entertain them. Okay, okay. think on that. <laughs> Yeah, I love it because um, I think at the end of our last podcast, like one of the goals was to get you all set up with everything you need for like leads who are looking for you. But I don't think you need anything more than an email to uh, to fill your pipeline because of um, how excellent you are at what you do. I have an idea though. Oh, good. Let's hear it. Hit me with it. Okay. Steeped Solutions. Ooh, steep solutions. I am steeped in this stuff. I like that. <laughs> right? And then you would have to do a photo shoot with like all the teas and give your clients special tea gift boxes. Yes. I think the hang up is like once I had this astrologer, I had got like my Vedic chart read a couple of years ago. And he's like, if you start a business, you have to put something about mercury in the name of the business okay i don't like this was like a thing all right and i'm just like i've been stuck on that i'm like mercury, yeah. mercury. it's just like a weird thing oh. to include so yeah. i mean he's, he's the 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 god of messages right mercury. yeah no totally like i have a lot of mercury in my chart like it makes sense like like the UPS guy entered the room during his reading, which is like, oh, that's the that's Mercury showing up. So it was like a big thing. And he was like really emphatic about it. But I'm just like, I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of weird. I like steep solutions. Yeah. Yeah. I I want it like my goal, and that this is one of my own things is to get my own email list going because that's like the cobbler has no shoes sort of thing. 
and I have all these great ideas for it, but uh, I just need, I need to hire myself as my own client too, to do all of that, so. Yes, yes, this is the ever-present struggle. Yeah. I'm doing that in August. I'm hiring myself and finally writing the website copy that I have put off for like two years. Nice. But it ain't easy. No, it's and it's summer too. We've got to chill and drink our hibiscus tea. And Totally, totally. Yeah. yeah. I was telling Dawn though, I'm like, if I'm just purely off in August, it won't be chill because my children are insane. Like, it's actually way nicer to just come into my office, do a little bit of productive work, and then go to the beach. So, yeah, I don't have kids, but I, I get the sentiment. I worked with someone who I, can, I thought had an insane job. She was a doctor, and her life at work was crazy. And she was like, Matt, you have no idea how relaxing it is for me to just be at work. And I'm like, it doesn't seem relaxing, so I can't imagine what it's like at home. Yes, yes, man. All right. Well, thank you so much, Matt. It's been a pleasure. We'll have to have you on part three. Oh my goodness, that'd be so amazing. Yes, and Launch Spa, it's happening. Let's record a podcast at the Launch Spa for Matt's email list. <laughs> yeah. Launch the email okay. list. <laughs> Do it. Love it. Thank you so much for everything, Matt. Of course. Thanks for having me. If you have any questions, anyone, shoot me an email. And I will just end by saying I'm just a copywriter, general marketer who figured all of this stuff out. If you're like a domain level administrator, if you work for Active Campaign, you're like, that's not right about our shared IPs. I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend you. I'm just trying to find practical solutions for my clients. (laughs) (laughs) And thanks for listening if you are that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) All right. See you next time, beauties. Whoa, look at you listening to the very end. We are so deeply grateful for you and borderline obsessed with hearing what resonated most and how you're taking the seeds planted in these conversations and sowing them in your life and business. It would mean more than you know if you would share this episode with a friend or subscribe, rate, leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Your reviews tell the algos behind the apps that we are worth pressing play on. So please, if you're feeling generous, take two minutes to share the love. And if you are curious around what your unique advantage is in this wild and wacky online world, take the unfair advantage quiz at shandyzack.com forward slash UA quiz. And thank you again, sunshine. Go light up the world and we'll see you next time.